Greetings and blessings, saints. Welcome to the Revelation Decoded Podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Gil Maza. We are going through an epic study through the book of Revelation, unlike any you might have heard before. Did the first century Christians understand the book of Revelation when it was first written by the Apostle John? You bet. They understood it and acted on it, and therefore they were spared the greatest tribulation that could ever come upon the Jewish people and the cataclysmic end of the Old Covenant. Think you know the book of Revelation? Come and see. Not going to find that in your Bible promise books, I guarantee you that. So I'll open it up for questions real quick before I continue on my next section. Uh, Well, this is God talking, so you tell me. God says, if you obey him, he will bless you. If you disobey, you'll receive the curses. So that's God speaking, you know. So yeah, you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, but this is a whole different thing. You can't, you cannot blaspheme or deny the Lord God or the Holy Spirit without consequences. And the Bible is replete with those. Anybody else? So, um... He's holding an angel for each church. Right, the angel or the pastor. He's holding the pastor of the church accountable for his flock, and he's saying, "We got to communicate this letter, these letters, to those churches, so that we can get the so that that would be a way because it was a postal route. So these churches go around like this, and so from there, God knew that the word would spread as quickly as possible from those points throughout all the land and be able to warn everybody that needed to be warned to get out of Jerusalem before the armies came and leveled it to the ground. So we're not supposed to build a third temple? I'm sorry? A third temple is not to be built? Well... That depends on your perspective of the end times. If you're a future dispensationalist, premillennialist, you're going to say, yes, you expect a third temple to be built for the Antichrist to come and declare himself God, commit the the, abomination of desolation. But depending on your perspective, uh, depending on what you believe about the rapture, you're either going to get raptured three years before that. Sometime before, in the middle of that, or, or or all the way to the end, there's five different views of the rapture. So you got to kind of pick which rapture you like. But yes, according to the future dispensationalist view, that's held by ninety point, you know, ninety nine percent of the people of the Christians, there has to be a third temple has to be built. But there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that a third temple has to be built. Not one. But uh, but again, that's if you come at it with your with your particular point of view. Then yes, and you know what? Most great teachers will agree with you. Uh, John MacArthur, Greg Laurie, all those people they agree with you. So I'm not saying they're entirely wrong. That's their view. But I'm saying that in this particular view, there is really nothing left that has to historically happen for the Lord Jesus to return and be the, and 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 it'll be the end of time. It'll be the end of the New Testament age. Okay, so yes, in your in your uh, in your in your future dispensationalist view, yes, there is a third temple looming in the horizon. I don't believe that myself. That's all. That that's that's. But that's my opinion. That's my my view of what the scriptures say about it. Okay, and again, good Christians can agree to disagree on that point and uh, live accordingly. Right, live accordingly.
Anybody else before I keep going? Oh, Gil, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Gil, so all these things happen because uh, the Jewish people denied Jesus that, as, a, as, as, as a God's son? Yes, this, this, was, this was their... Their reward, so to speak, their consequence of not fulfilling the old covenant contract they made with God. Okay, so God and Israel said, we're going to make an agreement. God said, if you do this, this and this, you will be blessed. Part of that, Martin, was accepting Jesus as Messiah. Jesus was the fulfillment of. All, everything good that the Old Covenant spoke of was embodied in Jesus Christ. The obligation of the Jewish person and then the rest of the world after, after them was to accept God's Messiah, God's fulfillment of the contract. In other words, God honored his contract by sending Jesus Christ to fulfill it as the Messiah. To receive Messiah is to fulfill the contract with God the way it was intended. To reject Messiah is to be found on the Mount Ebal section where now you're going to receive the curses for not honoring your contract with God. And this is what Moses is talking about, right? About those curses? Yes, yes. And the, and and the thing about it is, is that when did this happen? These, God gave them all those thousands of years. Even after Messiah showed up on the earth at Christmas, he gave them that entire generation. Right? And then Jesus says, this generation is going to live on to see the end of the Old Testament covenant embodied in the destruction of the temple once and for all. And I don't understand why they haven't been able to build a third temple. Why haven't they not been able to do that? There's a million different explanations, a million different theories. But again, if God lets that happen, the, the, the Jews or whoever it is that decides to go and build that third temple are going to be blaspheming in such a cosmic level, it, it boggles the mind. Make sense? Yeah, thank you. So they're so they're they're suffering the consequences, the bad side of the agreement because they did not honor their covenant with God to receive the gift that they were promised, which is Messiah. They didn't want Jesus as Messiah. They wanted a political savior. They wanted a, a you know a, a savior, a, a human savior who would come and wipe out Rome, make everything nice for them, and they could live happily ever after. They did not want a Messiah that was going to have to change them from the inside out because they didn't think they needed it. They were self righteous. I mean, everything that a Pharisee is egotistical, arrogant, self righteous. They said, "We don't need you to take care of our sin. We got. We will take care of our own sin. Don't even worry about it." What we need is someone to come in and take care of Rome so that we can do what we want to do. And that was the issue. All right? Sure. For Moses to when the destruction of temple happened, how much of the years? What was it? How many years? Yeah, for Moses to uh, the destruction of uh, temple. Okay, so... You know what, Martin? Honestly, I can't give you a good answer on that one right now. I'll have to look it up. Okay? But um, I'm not sure what the time difference is between, but I'll look it up and I'll let you know. 
I'm going to be honest about that. I Honestly, I can't give you a good answer, and I don't want to make it up. Okay, so we just read in the book of Deuteronomy what the consequences would be. And guess what? God was as good as his word. Jesus the Messiah came and fulfilled the promises, the prophecies of the prophets of God. He came as a prophet, as a priest, as a king to form the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34. Let's go to that. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day which I took him by the hand to bring him out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each uh, man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sin I will remember no more. You see, so God made that promise. And the one who fulfilled that promise, the new covenant, God says, with you, not like the old, was the covenant instituted by Jesus Christ, our Lord. But he also came as God's prosecuting attorney against an apostate old covenant people. God's final prophet, the prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. 15 to 22. God promises that there's going to come a prophet one day. The final one. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22 says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. This is according to all you asked of the Lord your God on Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see his great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, like Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and, I, and he shall speak them uh, all that I command him. What did Jesus say? The words that I speak are not my words, they're my Father's words. So here it is. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of them. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, listen to this, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, 
That is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Think about that for a moment. How many countless prophets or self-proclaimed prophets or Bible teachers and scholars and everybody else that's out there, the best known we know today that have said, the Lord is coming this generation, this generation, this generation, this generation for 2,000 years. They have been wrong 100% of the time. Every prediction made in the last 2,000 years, 100% wrong. So what's wrong? Is, it, is the Bible wrong? Is the Bible misleading and confusing people? Or is it the way that people are reading the Bible wrong? And you know what the answer is to that. If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and how many of them have said, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Won't be long now. This generation, this generation, this generation. Well, we've seen the generations come and go. Now they say, well, I'm not making any dates, but it's going to be in our lifetime. Well, that is still setting a date. And it may well be true. But we are not to focus on when he's coming back. We're to focus on what we're doing when he does find us. Right? We want to keep an eye out for our parents while we're partying in the, in the house. Burying our talent, as it were. Instead of going out and making that talent make more money for the, for the kingdom of God. And so we are so focused on looking up, waiting to, to get an indication of when he's coming, that we're no earthly good. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing on this planet right now, on this earth. Except for what? Giving everybody the impression that we all got to grab as many souls as we can, get on that Jesus bus and wait till he shows up so he can drive us into heaven. That, I think, is a very tragic philosophy of life. Because look around in society today. The Christians have left every major aspect of society. They've given up on politics. They've given up on medicine. They've given up on... Not all, by the way. I'm not saying it's all happened. But... Little by little, we're watching our culture deteriorate more and more and more and more because people are more waiting for Jesus, hiding in their pew to come and rescue us and take us up and beam us up, Scotty, than we are focused on our fellow man one way or the other. So that's where I think the problem lies. Yes, it's noble to want to save as many souls as possible, but you're going to you're gonna save them from hell before they die more likely than you are save them before Jesus our Lord comes back is more likely it's been that way for 2,000 years but he can come any minute and when he does come he we're not to be looking up at the sky waiting for him we're to be about our father's business our hand to the plow wiping our sweaty brow being working to Further and spread the kingdom of God on this earth by treating our fellow man the way God, Jesus told us to treat them in the Sermon on the Mount. I know I'm getting preachy, but I'm just saying it's right there. Once the prophet came, Jesus Christ our Lord, he came to pronounce once and for all the end of the old covenant, the beginning of the new covenant. Therefore, he comes as God's prosecuting attorney against an apostate covenant people. God's final prophet pronounces a covenant lawsuit against the old covenant people who not only have rejected the gospel of salvation, but did their 
level best to try to wipe it off the face of the earth. Go with me to John 5, verses 19 to 47. John 5, 19 to 47. John 5, 19 to 47 says this. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. You and I can't say that. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You hear? You see that? In other words, he is the fulfillment of every word of the Old Covenant. Not one jot or tittle has been stroken away. It's all been fulfilled in Him. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father who sent Him. Who is He talking to here? Think about His audience. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave it to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute what? Judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds, honored the covenant to resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil did, deeds, dishonored the covenant, did not fulfill the covenant to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing in my own initiative, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent John, and he has testified to the truth. Sorry. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has also testified of me. You have neither heard his voice or any time seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. You see that? The accusation. So he's being a lawyer here championing the covenant agreement between God and the people. And he's telling them, you are not 
in you know functioning within the agreement that you made with God the Father. Therefore, I am here to judge between who's doing the who is doing it and who isn't. He has that power. You search the scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, Jesus. And you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have eternal life. Notice it says unwilling, not unable. Do not I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves, who the unbelieving right Jews that he's talking to. I have come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Who is he talking about there? Barabbas. When they had to choose between Jesus and Barabbas, they chose Jesus. I mean, they chose Barabbas, and he says, I came in my Father's name, but you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Well, Barabbas means son of the Father. You see, so that's a little poke at them for the choice they were going to make a little while later when they would choose Barabbas over Jesus and then yell to have him crucified and then turn around and say, let his blood be upon us and our children. Then he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. You see, what is he saying there? Moses outlined this thing, this entire agreement for you in five books, the Torah in the Bible. So I'm, I don't have to judge you. You're judged by your own words. You're judged by what you say you believe. You're judged by the words of Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe, listen to this, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me, Jesus. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So this is no joke at this point. This is, this is something, you know, this is a cosmic moment where Jesus shows up to the Apostle John and says, The time has come to close the book on the Old Covenant once and for all. And the cataclysm of closing that book, that covenant, is going to be horrific. You need to get all believers out of here. They are not going to go through this. Okay? That's the difference. God was good as it were. It was good at his word. We will see that the oracles of Jesus, right? The seven letters to the seven churches follow this exact same structure. What structure? The one I talked about, uh, uh, we talked about before, the preamble, the historical prologue, the ethical stipulations, the sanctions, all those things. Jesus will follow that structure in each letter. Why? Because he wants them to understand it clearly and plainly. He wants them to hear it in a familiar way that they would grasp it immediately. That's why I have such a hard time with people saying, you know, the book of Revelation is just, you know, how can you know it? How can you understand it? So the rest of the Bible we have a pretty good grasp on, but Revelation is left up in the air for us to kind of what? Just pick what we like or grasp at the in the darkness and hope for the best? He didn't do that with any other book in the Bible, but he does it with the book of Revelation. That's what I find troubling and completely incredible, incredulous. 
I don't believe it. I, I just don't believe God would leave us so confused and so twisted and messed around and allow us to make false prediction after false prediction, prophecy after prophecy, and make the world a laughing, the Christianity a laughing stock to the rest of the world because they're tired of, of listening to us say Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming back. And use that as a motivator for people to come and get saved. You need to come and get saved so that you can begin to live the kingdom of God on this earth now and live that life you've always wanted to live through the power of the Holy Spirit and heal you of your sins, forgive your transgressions, give you a new breath, a new life, a new hope. But all we're doing it is we're basically turning it into fire insurance. Oh, let's just buy some insurance at the last minute so that, you know, we don't get caught with our pants down in case something happens. Are you serious? That is... That diminishes, it waters down the gospel so bad. Who cares? You've been telling me Jesus is coming back for centuries. So what? I don't care. I'm sick of hearing it. That's what they tell you. That's what they tell me. Is that the goal? Is that the point? No. No, it isn't. And we use the book of Revelation in such a horrific way, in such a twisted and messed up way, <laughs> that we want to try to make it something it's not. And all the point I'm trying to make, saints, is that the book of Revelation is meant to be a comfort, a strength, a guide for us to live in our, our end times. And what's our end times? Well, our lifetime. We have a short span on this earth. Jesus is coming back, but that should not be the focus. That should not be the focus. How am I doing on time? I got six minutes. Okay, you know what? Before I delve into these last two pages, or I barely got a page and a half, I'm going to stop right here. I know I have given you so much, and I have said things that contradict everything you've ever been taught about the book of Revelation, and for that, um, I don't apologize. But um, I'll open it up for questions. I'll mark my spot here. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Um, the Deuteronomy 18 passage. That, oh. The very first part of it. Okay. Where God said, I'm sending my prophet to him. That's right out of the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, uh, that, isn't that funny, right? Yes, isn't that funny that later on when uh, when Jesus meets uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible tell. Did, remember what the Bible said they were talking about? No. They it says specifically that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about the last days. Uh, about the fulfillment. Listen to him. Yes, of the Old Testament covenant. He was talking to them. It says right there. In fact, I, I forget which the passage is, but uh, I can look it up. But it says specifically they were speaking about his departure, the last days of the new of, of the Old Testament covenant. He was about to leave that behind and begin, like Moses did back in the day, to lead the people, not just Israel anymore, right? Because the first, keep in mind that the first covenant was between God and the nation of Israel. Many, many Egyptians and, and, and Gentiles did join along. As long as they believed, they were fine. They could join, anybody that wanted to. But now this new covenant is a covenant that's between God and the entire world. 
That is why the emphasis of the New Testament is to reach the entire planet for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it becomes, as it says in Daniel chapter 2, that rock that comes and hits the earth and becomes a mountain that covers the entire earth, which symbolizes the kingdom of God. Okay? Make sense? Yep. All right. Anybody else? Okay. If all hearts and minds are clear, we will stop there for tonight. And uh, let me just pray and send you on your way. Thank you so much for your time and attention uh, with this Bible study. I will try to get it out to you as soon as I can so that maybe you have to go back and re-listen to a few pieces of it and things like that, so that you can, you can just kind of ingest what it's saying, and make sure you go to the scriptures, and check all the scriptures, and uh, hold fast to that which is true. Let us, let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word, and Lord, I just thank you so much of the, for the magnificence of who you are, and what you've done for us. You've taken every, you've gone through any, every length, to reach us, to save us, Lord, to make sure we know about you. And I just ask, Father, that you help us structure our hearts and minds in such a way that we are ready to walk out and live the kingdom of God on this earth till the time when you finally do come as a surprise. Nobody will know the day or the hour. Nobody will know the moment. You can't predict it. You'll just show up. Help us be citizens of the kingdom of God in such a way that other people, everybody around us wants to be citizens of the kingdom as well. Let us treat everybody with the love of Jesus, with the compassion of Jesus. And Father, the people that don't receive it or accept it or rail against it have already judged themselves. We don't need the judgment, Father. It's, that's your job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world, not ours. Ours is to live in such a way as we reach Him. I pray, Father, for your strength and your Holy Spirit to fill everybody listening to my voice and all those out there uh, in our church, in our community, in our families that need you desperately, that are hurting, that are sick, that are broken, that need hope in this world, Father. We ask you that allow us to be that hope. Allow us to be that light that beacon of light as well, Father. And as we continue to delve into the intricacies and we continue to decode the book of Revelation bit by bit, allow us to ingest it in such a way that it fills our hearts with joy and with courage and with peace and with strength, knowing that you have it all in control. All we have to do is obey the, kingdom, the, the edicts of being a citizen of the kingdom of God and be on the right side of the covenant. That is the covenant where Messiah has come to earth. And we have taken him into our hearts. And now he is our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. We love you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. Have a good night, everybody. God bless. This concludes part two of the introduction to the letters of the seven churches. Please join us for the next lesson next Tuesday night. May God bless you, saints.